0: Welcome friends, I'm Megan Meredith, your host. This is our very first episode in this Patreon space and I just wanna go ahead and say a few thank yous. I would like to thank all of you who are already supporting this page, this space. It makes me happy and it makes a whole lot of things possible in this space. So thank you so much for your support already. I'd like to thank Michael Curtis for our music and our sound engineering. A little bit about me in case you don't know me personally. I'm a mom of two and I've been married for 16 years. I have published six novels, but I've been writing stories and poetry since grade school, since I knew how to write really. (laughs) Um, I've been a yoga instructor for several years and both of these ventures are lifelong journeys. Um, And one of those journeys is a journey in finding my voice. So here's something we can talk about. Finding your voice. So, what do I mean when I say finding your voice? That sounds, it's um, a little bit kitschy. It's um, maybe even a cliche lately. Um, Some people like to say, you know, speaking your truth or. Different ways of saying that, but what what do people mean when they say that they found their voice, or it took them a long time to find their voice, or they still haven't found their voice? Um, in my own personal opinion, I think that finding your voice really equals authenticity and um, boundaries, and so a lot of that I think comes from. When we say that we don't have a voice, it's really the fear of authenticity. It's about acquiescing. Um, I think it's also about the fear of rejection, withholding opinions or silencing yourself to make the other person or the other party or the situation um, easier or make the other person feel comfortable I think it also could mean insecurity, that you're morphing yourself into something that is more palatable to someone else. Um, You could also call that hiding. I think it speaks to a lack of boundaries a lot of the time. um, We overhelp. We uh, become codependent. We acquiesce um, in order to keep the peace and in order to um, not make someone angry or just to fly under the radar a lot of the times. Um, I think that finding your voice also refers to the process that... You know, the path that an artist has to go through, you'll hear this a lot when it comes to creatives, I think, that an artist or a creative has to go through in order to find their tone and their style, their tenor, um, the personality in which, with which they use to express themselves. So I think you'll hear that a lot when it comes to creative, but I think that it's valuable for each and every person, and I think... It, it's a natural progression. it's a natural growth journey that everyone is on if they're if they're paying attention at all <laughs> um, that we that we have to find our own tenor and pitch that we have to learn how to communicate with people in a way that makes them feel comfortable but without discounting ourselves or without betraying ourselves. So part of this, as i was thinking through my own journey of finding my voice was how does one lose their voice not literally but metaphorically and how or how does a person get to be an adult without a voice a couple of things that came to mind about that was as a child if you have a lack of boundaries i think ultimately you can grow up believing that you don't you don't have a voice you don't have agency over your own life, your own opinions, your own feelings, um, because you weren't granted that you weren't shown that as a child, how to own your own opinion and do so respectfully and kindly. You know, it's not even just that, like, agree to disagree moment. It's being able to, to hold your ground, not from a place of defense, but hold your ground in the sense that, like, you're allowed to have an opinion. You're allowed to be a person. You're allowed to engage in this conversation with someone else or this situation, and they're allowed, and you're allowed, like you're both allowed to take up space in the world. And if you weren't granted that as a child, you will grow up to be an adult if you're not being aware and if you. Aren't working towards that, then you grow up to be an adult who doesn't have a voice. And you're constantly codependent, you're constantly acquiescing, you're constantly hiding and morphing. And until you become aware of the lack of boundaries, you'll grow up to be an adult who doesn't have any boundaries. The lack of agency over your person is a big deal to me and especially as a yoga teacher that's a really big deal to me to grant permission, you know, not that they actually need my permission, but just as a defining moment if you will during class to to say you have full agency over your body and your mat. I say that a lot in class. My students hear me say that. And I think that's important because so many children and so many adults don't actually know that they have agency over their bodies. They don't know that they have agency over their life, that they have permission to choose, to choose to say no, to choose to say yes, to choose to question the status quo. I think another way that people Grow up to be adults that don't have a voice is if you started out your life feeling powerless and you grew up feeling powerless, Um, whether that's because of an authoritarian household or extreme religion. I think that there are lots of things, um, and I'll touch more on this in just a moment, but if you grow up feeling powerless, that those things actually kind of steal your voice. You may have started out with one and any situation that allows you to feel powerless or forces you kind of into a corner, um, it can steal your voice from you and you can be then afraid of, just like I was saying that sometimes not having a voice or being afraid of your own voice is really a fear of authenticity. It's a fear of rejection. It's a fear of boundaries or um, even retaliation. I think if children, this is a tough one to talk about, but it's very real, so I don't want to shy away from it, that if you're taught to lie as a child, I think that that sets you up for an inauthentic life. If you lie easily because an adult taught you how or taught you that it was okay, I think that that sets you up for... Not being able to trust your own voice. I also think this is a really big one to me is that if you were ever taught not to tell things, you know, we don't air our dirty laundry kind of conversations or things are need to know, or, or literally if you ever had an adult or a friend or in your adolescent years, a teacher or A boyfriend or girlfriend, if anyone ever sort of threatened you, and let's be clear, that is a threat, (laughs) and said to you, don't you dare tell. Or even if they asked nicely, maybe they didn't um, audibly threaten you. (laughs) But if someone ever told you that you weren't allowed to tell something and and you knew that was wrong, but again, that fear of authenticity, the fear of your own voice, the fear of rejection, the lack of boundaries may have led you to... Be afraid of what would happen if you told, and therefore that moment in and of itself steals your voice from you. Them telling you not to tell steals your voice because you, if you truly had agency over your body, you could speak to whoever you needed to about whatever you needed to. If there was something not safe happening, inappropriate happening, and some other things, and and we won't go into depth about these things today because they are they're topics for another day that really need to be fully fully vetted. And I want to bring some other voices in to speak to these things as well. But just um, there, there's three other things that I think steal our voice. There's assault, any sort of assault, like physical, sexual, um, mentally, psychologically, um, any of those kinds of assaults on the body or the mind. Or even the spirit can steal your voice from you. And so maybe you grew up feeling very confident in yourself and in your voice as a child, as an adolescent. And maybe something happened along the way. You were assaulted in some way. And that moment in time in and of itself can silence you. And then on top of that, you were probably told not to tell (laughs) And so that's a big one. And we'll discuss that at a later date. I just want to touch on these things because I know that some of you out there, whether you're listening or you'll listen to this later, this is you. And these things are real to you. And so I don't want to dismiss them. Um, So assault is one. Trauma is another. And trauma can mean um, a whole host of things. and, And people that are A whole lot smarter than me (laughs) and our actual professionals in the world of trauma would consider that there are big T traumas and little T traumas. But honestly, little T traumas aren't any less traumatic than big T traumas on the body, on the spirit, and and the long-term ramifications of trauma. And you're welcome to go research that (laughs) because again, we won't go into depth on that on this episode. But assault, trauma, and also abuse. These are things, any kinds of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental, emotional, verbal, all of those things affect the body physiologically. They affect the emotions, your coping skills, your processing, your even your cognitive processing is affected by assault, trauma, and abuse. And so these things are natural stealers of, of your voice. And so any of, any number of things could have been the culprit. And, and sometimes it's just the way you were raised or it was, sometimes it can be as simple as birth order, to be honest, um, your place in your family and how that station got labeled in your family, the role that you were assigned, stripped you sort of of any voice from the beginning, kind of. And so um, whether that's you, whether you started out and your voice got stolen from you, or it got stolen from you later in life, or it just never got, it never got to flourish, it never got fostered, then you might be just like me and finding your voice that on a path to To hone in on your voice late late in life, and not late in life, but it feels late in life to just now be figuring out my own voice and figuring out that I have agency over my life and my beliefs and my body, and um, my opinions. So, what happens? Let's talk about what happens when you find it, quote unquote. And, and more more than anything, I think it's about letting it out. <laughs> because I think that you discover along the way who you are, who you're not, what you actually think, what you actually believe, what's important to you, what your passions are. All of these things are, are part of the journey and part of the path. And so when we say find it, really, it just means sometimes it is. It's locked away deep inside and you've um, put it in a vault because it wasn't safe to let it out, right? And But I think sometimes when we say find it, it's not something that you find outside of yourself. It's not really even something that you need permission to go find or to use. It's something that you honestly kind of unlock within you. I think that will resonate with a lot of people and maybe even you, listener, um, supporter, as you listen to this, that there are those moments where something gets unlocked and that again can be from And due to a whole host of things, a whole host of reasons and people and permissions that happen. Um, And so what does happen when you quote unquote find it or unlock it? I think that some of the things that happen, the two biggest things for me that happen are opinions replace silence. That you have the right to take up space. You have permission to engage You don't have to be right. You don't have to have research. You don't have to win an argument. You could simply just interject yourself and have an opinion and share in a conversation with someone instead of silencing yourself out of fear, instead of withholding out of fear, instead of acquiescing in order to make someone else feel comfortable, you make yourself small. And I say those things and I rattle them off like it's easy. And I know for a fact that it's not because that's the space in which I lived most of my life was making myself small and palatable for everyone else around me. So the second thing that I think happens is that boundaries replace acquiescence. And acquiescence is a big word. I've used it several times in this episode because it is something that's a chronic problem, Um, not only with me but also maybe with you um that i think boundaries are a hard thing to learn it's it's even a strange journey to figure out that you don't have boundaries i honestly didn't know what boundaries were until i was an an adult in my 30s <laughs> um and that's rather sad actually um but i think there comes a point where you realize that you're allowed to say no part of this i think comes from that powerlessness, that extreme religion and that authoritarian household, if you come from any of those, a powerless situation of any sort, you learned at a very early age to acquiesce, um, that you didn't get to say no. And sometimes even our parenting um, lends itself to this. I catch myself doing this all the time, that, that my child's not allowed to disagree with me. My child's not allowed to disobey. My child's not allowed to say no. And I think that is... A slippery slope, and there has to be some balance there and boundaries where we teach our children um, how to do things respectfully and how to even question our authority without becoming defensive to where they're allowed to push back a little bit respectfully and understand things, especially if you have a firstborn like mine. Um, He questions everything I do. He wants to understand things. And so I could shut that down very easily and be very authoritarian and how dare you question my authority and how dare you question what I'm asking you to do. But that's coming from a place of defense and a place of fear. Like I'm afraid of losing my control over him. I'm afraid of losing my authority within my family. Um, And that also stems from powerlessness in my own life. And so here I am trying to be in control as a parent. And if you're questioning me, I feel defensive and I feel like I'm losing my ground. But really, if we're sharing power with our children, we're sharing permission with them, then, then I'm okay with the fact that he's questioning me and he wants to understand something. And sometimes that's respectful and sometimes it's not. And so I would rather, I'd rather speak to the tone and tenor with which he is speaking to me, the way that he's questioning me, rather than shutting everything down and never letting him say no, never letting him question, never letting him push back, because those are actually—he is testing boundaries, and so we learn about boundaries by testing them, and that's okay. I don't have to be threatened by that. I don't have to be defensive. And I think that that's really important as adults as well, that we teach each other where the boundaries are. And we only learn that by saying no to each other, by saying it kindly and not constantly apologizing and acquiescing. Because when we do that, we're allowing people to betray our boundaries. Or if we didn't have any, we're allowing them to steamroll us, to overuse us, to abuse us, to take advantage of us. So you you could insert any number of phrases there, and I think they they would all apply because when we acquiesce simply to make ourselves smaller or palatable, or to even feel useful, sometimes um, we're betraying ourselves. In the long run, that's a very unhealthy thing. It might not feel unhealthy in the moment when you do it. It also doesn't feel good if you are aware of that in the moment that you've just betrayed yourself in order to make that person more comfortable. And again, if you were brought up in an extreme religion, you were taught how to do that. (laughs) You were taught that that was maybe even a pillar (laughs) of your religion was to constantly be acquiescing to the other person because they're more important than you. Again, we, some of us, depending on what, how you were raised and what extreme religion, you were brought up in, you were the lowest person on the totem pole and you didn't matter and you didn't really have rights and there was nothing really good inside of you anyway. <laughs> and, that, and that keeps people in a place of powerlessness. That keeps people in a place of acquiescing. Speaking to this, what, what happens when we find our voice? Not everyone is going to be happy about these changes um, that occur when you find your voice, especially in the early stages when you're just figuring it out, when you start to push back a little bit on things, when you start to say, this is not okay with me, when you start to speak truth, sometimes you will recognize really quickly um, the spaces in which that is not welcome or people that were benefiting from you not having boundaries and always silencing yourself, you will notice that Those changes are not welcome. And honestly, life situations may start to change. You may need to change careers. You may need to change churches. Your friends might ebb and flow. And I think that's okay. Um, Knowing that that's part of the journey, that some of those things will be holding you back because those were the spaces where you were hiding the most, that you were silencing or being silenced the most situations that don't have any boundaries, people that don't have any boundaries, nor nor will they accept your changes, but they also won't respect your boundaries. And you'll notice that. And those relationships will naturally change or they need to change. So let's talk about how, how we actually do find our voice, how we um, unlock those things. I think some of that is natural and you can't really force it. Um, you can't sit down and I mean, I guess you could. You could sit down today and say, I'm going to find my voice and just see what happens. But I think most people would find that it's a natural progression, that it happens slowly. And I would say that mine began 10 to 15 years ago. And so this has been a long journey. And I, at times I was aware of it. And at times I was oblivious to what was happening. All of the changes that have happened in the past 10 to 15 years, I think, have been just little stepping stones to... Me finding the right path, I would say the first thing that you need to do when trying to unlock your own voice is just to practice. Even even if it's something like this, where you're talking into a microphone and then listening to yourself, just practice literally using your voice. Um, You practice with friends, with really safe people, with your spouse. If that spouse is safe, you practice um, with your parents. If your parents are safe, You practice with your children to where you're both learning how to say yes and no to each other respectfully, and you're both learning how to have boundaries. A good example of that is um, with one of my children, I quite often have to say, you're welcome to be that angry at me. I'm not actually threatened by that, but I don't have to participate in the fight that you're starting with your anger. So... (laughs) That's me learning how to assert my own boundaries instead of acquiescing and getting pulled into the power struggle that this child is trying to start because I don't want to tell the child that they're not allowed to feel a certain way. But I also want to respectfully show the child that I don't have to participate in what they're doing. That's a boundary. I, I can't tell someone else how to treat me. I can. They don't have to respect that. <laughs> I can say, I will not tolerate this. I can say, I don't have to be here in the room. (laughs) I don't actually have to allow you to inflict that on me. But you are allowed to feel that way um, towards me, at me, around me, or just by yourself. And usually that's what we do. We leave the child um, in their room for a few minutes and let them feel how, you, how they're feeling. And if they can pull themselves around, then that's fine. If they can't, we'll try again. And I think that we have to do that with each other. We have to be able to say, um, this is not okay with me. You're allowed to feel that way about me. You're allowed to speak your mind about the situation, but... If you're going to be disrespectful and if you're going to try to pull me into something, I don't actually have to participate in that. So I think that we have to practice that. And it takes really uncomfortable situations, really uncomfortable conversations. And sometimes it takes practicing walking away. And it takes practicing confronting someone. It takes practicing telling yourself no. And sometimes that's the hardest one of all is practicing having boundaries with yourself about your feelings, learning to talk to yourself about your eating habits, your health, your mental health. It's all practice. And so there's some days that it's going to feel natural and you're going to feel like you're nailing it. And there's some days that you're going to feel like you're a child again and you're learning this for the first time because in some ways you are and that's okay. Um, the second thing I would say in finding your voice is experimenting. Um, lots of great people, great voices in the writing community, as well as the, the speaking community would say that, um, when you're first starting out, a good way to practice is to experiment. And sometimes experimenting even means, copying someone that you value and look up to, um, picking up on phrases, picking up on mannerisms that you want to emulate. And I'm not saying plagiarism is the way to go. I'm saying in your own life, not necessarily in a public setting, experiment with what it sounds like to You know, be as confident as so and so, as succinct as so and so, as steadfast as so and so. Um, Pick out traits from each person that you like and just experiment, play with what it feels like. And sometimes we just need to feel it. As a yoga teacher, I can say that sometimes you just need to feel it in your body. You need to literally hear yourself sound like that and then it starts to register and it starts to become real. It's not faking it till you make it. It's just, if you weren't ever granted permission to experiment with that as a child, you're doing that as an adult, which feels even weirder. But it's still vital to play around with your voice and practice saying no to someone. And maybe it comes out too harshly. Maybe it comes out too quickly. Maybe it comes out too soft and it's not assertive enough. And you're like, next time I need to X, Y, and Z. And that's why it's a practice because sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. I think that the third thing is about learning to hear yourself. And this is part of practicing and experimenting is just being able to learn to hear yourself, to learn quite literally how your voice sounds in real time. And sometimes that that can be as easy as recording it and listening it back to you. Like everybody hates their, you know, um, voicemail, even though I don't really use voicemail anymore. <laughs> you know, but learning to enjoy your actual tone and tenor and learn to enjoy your, your truthful tone and tenor. Learn to not be afraid of your voice, to hear it and not be afraid of it. I think the last two kind of come together, that we pursue truth and we find clarity. And I think the pursuit of truth is important because that's a broad spectrum truth that lends itself to theology and religion and spirituality and science and all kinds of things that we pursue truth in our own lives, but we also... That's part of finding your voice is pursuing truth to say, this is actually true of my life, my personality, and what I believe. And being able to hold those things as truths to you and being willing to defend them or, you know, what's worth walking away for kind of things. And I think along the way, as you pursue truth, you're gonna find clarity. You're gonna find those voices that you look up to, those mentorship relationships that you can bounce ideas off of and say, is this way off base? Or if you're in therapy, you find clarity every week when they ask introspective questions where you're able to unearth buried things and it helps unlock your voice and it helps establish boundaries. So, having those kinds of voices coming into your life that can speak truth to you and help you pursue truth and also kind of clarify the lies we tell ourselves and the truth that we need to be speaking. I want to kind of give examples from my own life just to kind of let you into my journey just a little bit and help you get to know me. My first example is with books. I've written, I've written a lot of crap, <laughs> fictional crap I've overshared on the internet. I've been way too forward. I've been too brash. Um, I know that I've overstepped boundaries and I have been completely obtuse and this speaks to the lack of boundaries in my youth, but I've been completely obtuse to how truth can be used, can be weaponized. Um, even your feelings can be weaponized if you're not being authentic, I think, in yourself, and it doesn't come from a place of love and boundaries, then um, what you're doing is just bombarding someone with your oversharing. It's taken a lot of fine-tuning and experimenting and even backtracking, saying I'm sorry, going back to people, for me to find my own tone and tenor, my own personality. Um, And the thing is, I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, and I'm okay with that. I don't think we ever really arrive. Um, I will keep fine-tuning. And so should you, you know? Um, I think that we should never settle into, into a space where it's like, this is just who I am. Um, I think that we should always be in a growth Mentality. I think we should always be pursuing truth and clarifying and learning and being open to people outside of us that think differently than us, that believe differently than us, that can help fine tune our reality and our truth and our voice. How we express ourselves and what we're doing and who we're surrounding ourselves with. I think that all needs to be fluid. There needs to be an ebb and flow. Otherwise, everything becomes static and stale and quite honestly stubborn. I've always been writing and I've always been talking. I've always been interested in expression. That's what I went to college for. And I had no idea who I was or what I was doing in college. And so I. I graduated early, but I feel like I wasted three years, even though I ended up with a degree that is something I'm using now. It's still sort of like I wasted three years and I wish that I had um, more direction back then. And I wish that I had my voice already. So I didn't start releasing books actually pursuing publishing and writing um, until about six years ago. I was terrified (laughs) to release my first book. I wanted to so badly, but I was also terrified of it because I'd literally never put myself out there. Social media was fairly new. Um, I'd never put myself out there, even to my friends, even then, I can see the fear of rejection. I can, f- I can see the fear of retaliation. I can see acquiescing in my first book. Um, I was terrified, and I wanted everyone to like it and like me, and I wasn't yet confident in my voice and abilities. I was terrified with my second book, quite, quite honestly. Um, I have made so many mistakes along the way, so many I found my voice through this process and so each book is different and each book I was finding more and more of myself. Um the thing is I'm also okay with all of those mistakes and there are people that are quick to point those out <laughs> and that's okay. Um I need those people actually because i'm going to i'm going to keep writing i'm going to keep showing up i'm going to keep putting stuff out there and as i have gained confidence i've begun to care less about approval and acceptance and more about just sharing from a place of generosity seth godin calls creativity generosity and i love that because it's a new paradigm for me when it comes to creativity i Even with that new idea that Seth Godin, in his book, The Practice, he talks about um, how creativity is generosity. And even in that new idea, the old paradigm filter comes back. And and I think things like, oh my gosh, Meg, that's so egotistical. To think that you have anything to offer, (laughs) that you who are filthy rags, would consider anything from you generous or that anyone would want it. That's so prideful. <laughs> and that's not just bad self-talk, you guys. That's the space that some of us grew up in. That's actual language that was used. And so to literally flip the script on that and begin to view it the opposite of that, that that my creativity, my words, my sharing, my voice— is generous, is, I mean, honestly, that's something I'm still working through. But when it comes to fictional stories, I am to the place where I, I put those out and I don't so much worry about how many book sales I have, how many reviews I'm getting, what people are saying about it. um, If my friends are reading them, if my family reads them, um, because it's beauty And as an artist, that's just what we do. We put beauty out into the world. And we know that if somebody's searching for it and it lands with them, then that's worth it. And it doesn't have to be. It's not some popularity contest anymore, you know. And I think that's a beautiful thing about finding your voice, finding your confidence. It really does become a generous act of love, to just kind of send something beautiful out to the world. And some people aren't going to like it. Some people might hate it. Some people won't understand the new path that you're on. And that's really okay because the people that need it will find it. Um, So the next example is with yoga. I grew up in an extreme evangelical setting. And in this setting, being a female, unfortunately, was frowned upon. And being an opinionated female was even more unwarranted. So layer that with the fact that uh, baby May <laughs> um, was an empath, you know, a highly sensitive person, and in churchy words, uh, was a prophet. <laughs> I got told I was mistaken a lot, that surely, you know, my giftings were more of a servitude <laughs> nature. Um Because that was actually a female's place, you know. But for the first time, when I was in yoga class, before I was teaching, the first time an instructor spoke words during Shavasana about letting go and releasing, I remember crying. I was laying there. I wasn't even doing what she was saying. I I was ruminating on all, all of the things. I was thinking through all of the things. That were pent up that I needed to let go of, and um, and and honestly, that's okay. As a yoga teacher, I totally understand that that those first couple times, and you're not even really in your body yet, you don't know how to let go, you don't know how to release because you're just you're just allowing all of those things to surface that need to be released, and so you haven't even you don't even know how to do that yet, and that's okay. But I remember crying, and I knew in that moment, I don't think I'll f- ever forget it. I knew I'd found a home for my voice to be able to get people in their bodies, to connect with God, and then to speak truth over them, to speak positive things over them was honestly something I'd never experienced. And I knew in that moment that this was my path. And maybe you have crossroad moments like that in your journey, in your path that you could tell me. Um, I would honestly love to hear them, but maybe it's just little things along the way. Maybe it's the granting of boundaries. It's the granting of permission. It's realizing that you're allowed to say no. Those are little things that might not feel monumental. Um, certainly not laying crying during Shavasana. If you haven't already begun that journey, I hope that maybe even this podcast, this moment for you is permission to start unlocking your voice, that your voice matters and the world actually needs your voice. People around you need that. Your children need that. Your workplace needs that. So let's be clear, finding your voice doesn't mean that you don't ever doubt yourself or even get it wrong sometimes. Like I, like I mentioned, uh, <laughs> apologize a lot because I get it wrong a lot. And I think also learning to do that is part of Finding your voice is learning to go back to someone and say, like, you know, listen, I didn't do that right. <laughs> I actually did it really badly. Here's what my intention was, but but sometimes my intention doesn't matter if I've hurt you. And so going back to that person and saying, I'm learning to use my voice, and I did it badly that day, and I'm so so sorry. Um, you actually matter more to me than um, than saying whatever it is I feel like I need to say. But again, just because someone doesn't like your opinion or your truth or your boundaries doesn't mean that you always have to acquiesce. It doesn't mean that you always need to apologize. I was in a very bad cycle pretty much my whole life where I'm a fixer and I really hate it when people are upset with me and I really hate it when people think I'm wrong. (laughs) in order to appease them and acquiesce and make myself palatable again. Um, Some of us, especially codependent ones, um, ex-codependent people like myself who are learning to come out of that, we honestly have to learn to stop apologizing. We have to learn to let people be upset, to let people disagree, to let people be unhappy. Because if we have been true to ourselves, if we have stood our ground respectfully, kindly, and said, this is actually not okay, and I'm not going to participate in that, that's not actually something that you need to apologize for. Um, And I I think we know the difference between I hurt someone and this is a boundary. We don't have to fix people's feelings for them. We can actually... Allow them to feel what they're feeling just like my child. You can say, you're actually allowed to be angry at me. I'm strong enough to take that. I am actually not threatened by your feelings. (laughs) And I know sometimes that is actually the journey. That's a hard thing to do is to learn to say, you're allowed to feel how you feel. You're allowed to rage out if you want, but you're not allowed to do that at me in my direction. I don't have to participate in that. When you're done feeling that way and you're ready to talk about something or you're ready to try to reconnect, then there's space for that. And I'm totally willing to have a conversation. But until then, here's some boundaries, here's some distance, um, because it's not my job to make you feel better. And I think that is really hard, <laughs> especially if we grew up in that extreme space. Um, if you grew up in an abusive space, an alcoholic space, you may feel the need to constantly monitor And manage everyone else's feelings. And you feel the need probably to manage how people feel about you. When in all reality, how people feel about you is not your responsibility. It's not your job to manage or fix. And they're actually allowed to behave however they want. When it comes to them and their personal space, you don't have to manage them. You have to manage you and you have to manage your own boundaries and keep yourself sane and safe. And that's really all you have to do. And sometimes that's really hard when it comes to your voice is learning to say, that's not my job. I'd be glad to listen, but it's not my job to fix this. It's not my job to manage your feelings or even this relationship. It's not even your job to be hyper aware (laughs) Of everyone around you and how they're feeling and what they're doing and if you need to help them or that's that codependency sneaking back in. Um, but that's not actually what this podcast is about. That's just a little rabbit trail. If we keep practicing, if we keep experimenting and we keep showing up authentically to our life, I think that this thing, our voice, um, our agency Our boundaries, they become more and more natural and it feels easier each time. Um, It's a lot like confrontation when you are very opposed and afraid of confrontation. It feels uncomfortable, like literally physiologically in your body, it feels uncomfortable. You might feel it in your shoulder blades. You might feel it in your waist, in your stomach. You might feel it in your neck and your shoulders. You're holding all your stress or your hips get really tight. You can hold it a number of places. You can feel it a number of places because it's really uncomfortable. But the more you do it, the more you face that, the more you respectfully and kindly set a boundary, have a conversation, confront something that needs to be confronted, injustice, abuse, hurt, The more you do it, the easier it becomes. My therapist would use the word tolerable there, that it doesn't really ever become easy probably, but you tolerate it easier and it doesn't quite trigger the panic that maybe that first time does. And the more we stop avoiding our voice and we stop being afraid of it, the more it feels natural and the more confidence we gain in it and the more value that we see in our voice, in ourselves. And I think that lends itself to value others as well. When we have the right to take up space, so do they. When we have a right to use our voice, so do they. And it causes a ripple effect of mutual respect and kindness. And that's a really beautiful thing about it. Even though there are hard things about it, sometimes the journey is years and years of really painful things and therapy and whatever it takes for you to find it. You know, that journey is going to be different for every person. The beautiful thing I think is it leads itself, lends itself to a place of acceptance to the people around you and um, even people you don't know that you come in contact with because again, if you have the right to take up space, so do they. And we all belong here and we all have value and worth and we're all worthy of Connection and boundaries and relationships. So thanks for joining me for episode one. I am thrilled that you're here. I am thankful for your generosity and I can't wait to interact with you more in this space. This space will look different week to week. Sometimes it will be salty. Sometimes it will be serious. We will have guests and we will have episodes that are just meditations. So I look forward to switching it up and I look forward to to all that we're gonna build here in this community campground of yogis and writers and friends. Thanks for joining me today and I'll see you next time.